Dotnet Rocks episode 635 with guest Andrew Russell. Recorded live Tuesday, February 1st, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm well, sir. It's bright and sunny here in Vancouver, if a little cold. Yeah, it's pure ice outside. Welcome to the frozen like, wonderland. Yeah, it's tundra land out here. Um, I've been holed up at my girlfriend's place working on a very interesting program that I'll tell you all about for Better Know Framework. Awesome. Well, this program, actually, we got a contract uh, with a um, with a well-known training company that does videos, oh, yeah. training videos, not Franklin's Net, mm-hmm. and to do sort of closed caption transcription for these guys. Mm-hmm. So they have hundreds and hundreds of hours of video that need to be transcribed, but they want it in a specific XML format so that, you know, like a hundred characters at a time kind of thing, or as many words that will fit in a hundred characters at a time in this specific, with timestamps every hundred characters, essentially. So that's not the kind of thing that a transcriptionist can just whip off. No, and that's, you know not, I mean? that's not a trivial job there. Right. So I wrote a Silverlight app for this and, um, uh, I had to interact with a USB pedal, cool, which is a, a pedal that transcriptionists use for uh, starting and stopping media. And the program that comes with the pedal absolutely sucks. So the first thing I did was I rewrote that, like for audio. And now I'm doing this video one. So it's got to play a video. It's got to interact with the pedal. I actually ended up writing a Windows service. This isn't something I'm going to deploy. It's just an in-house thing. Right. A Windows service that um, listens for a socket connection from a Silverlight app, and then it sends commands to the Silverlight app from the pedal. Essentially, um, what I wanted to show today was a tip that I got doing Silverlight development that I think a lot of people may run into. It's a little snag, but you might. See if see if this sounds like something you'd do. Okay. So there's a checkbox in XAML, and uh, you're writing the checkbox, you know, the margin, the name, whatever it is, and then I want to set it checked by default. Right. So there's a checked property, and I set that to true. Okay, and then I put in my content, you know, what I want it to say, and a slash checkbox in XAML, and everything looks fine. I don't have any squiggly lines, except I compile it and you know i've written a whole bunch of code around this now and like it's been i don't know 15 20 minutes worth of coding since i added that line right and i get this error when i go to compile it that doesn't point to any particular line of xaml but it just says event handler uh the event handler true was not found huh true was not found great there's no handler for yeah. true there's no handler for the true event. <laughs> that's what it's that's what it's telling me. This is not helping you. 
No, and there's no squiggly lines. Nothing's underlined. It doesn't give me a line number to go to to where I can look. Uh, nothing. Nice. And I've got XAML coming out my ears here. Yeah, I bet. Like, it's a big document. So I go to Google, and of course, nothing. There's nothing on that. You're the only here's person the ever in history to have this problem. Right. Well, here's what it is. It's not the checked property that you need to set to true. It's the is checked property that you need to set to true. Oh. So it was right. It was uh, the XAML interpreter decided that checked was some kind of event handler. Well, I, I guess I'm not exactly sure what, but it thought it must have been an event called true. The right. checked is a legitimate property, but I guess maybe you set that to an event. There you go. So, so, so what I did to debug this was first thing I did is I took my code behind and I commented it all out. Right. No code. No code for you. No code for you. I still got the error. Then I took all the XAML and I commented that out. Everything. And of course it compiled fine. Aha, problem is in the XAML. Right. Then I had like three different grids in a you know in series. And one by one I narrowed it down by comment by commenting out and running it. And I found the you know the one block. But it took me, you know, ten minutes of ten, fifteen minutes of debugging to find that one thing. Hmm. So this is what I mean when I rail against complexity. Yeah, you'd think when the error came up about not being able to find the handler for true, that it would then point to that true in the XAML code. Yes, you would think yeah. that it would tell you where it had the problem in the XAML code. Right. But no. So what's your tip, Carl? So make sure you use the is checked property <laughs> rather than the checked property when setting the value of the checkbox in there you XAML. Go. Now I I'm trying to remember this. I'd have to pull it up. It doesn't doesn't the doesn't a proper property in XAML color code differently than a event handler? But it is a proper property. Yeah, I guess it is. It totally accepted it. Checked just is valid, fine. of course. Right. That's the problem. Evil. 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 Anyway, go. Richard, who's talking to us? I've got an email right here, and it's about our end of year show. Let me read this oh. to you. Uh, with no hi or gentleman or anything like that, just bypassed the whole issue. Went straight into the conversation. I was listening to some recent episodes, and I think it was in episode 622 on object databases that Carl made a comment about F-sharp and that Microsoft was seeming to abandoning it after putting it in Studio 2010. And I'll correct you a couple of highlights here, Mark. It was the year-end show, and it was me, not Carl. Right. Carl related how Ted Neward and Amanda Locker had said that it was good for line-of-business apps, but left the impression that it could not be considered that way now. I met them both at Codestock in 2008, and I spoke with Amanda a bit in between sessions. I am not an F-sharp developer. My skills are in C-sharp, and I've been reading the book Real World Functional Programming in F-sharp and C-sharp, which he would recommend. I have an interest in functional style programming, and it seems to hold the promise as we move toward better usage in multi-CPU machines, which I totally agree with, although hasn't delivered on it yet. The comment about F-sharp haunted me, and as I picked up the book, I wondered if he was right, was this a waste? I went and found Don Symes' post about the open source part of F-sharp and found that it's really a code drop of the compiler's source, more of a way to learn about the workings of the compiler. I then found a video with Don Syme from the F-Sharp in Education done in Boston from November. Don showed what is being worked on in F-Sharp, which has not been made publicly available, and it showed me that we would be mistaken in feeling that F-Sharp has been abandoned. Martin Fowler did a presentation here in Atlanta 
a while back that said Java is a dead language, but the JVM is doing well with new languages and the .NET platform is vibrant and adding new functionality and F-sharp is a good part of that value. So Mark respectfully disagrees. He does not believe that Microsoft has been in F-sharp and he does feel that Microsoft has been moving forward in embracing open source and the inclusion of jQuery and the involvement of NuGet, which is an interesting technology, Mm. Uh, shows that they understand open source has a very good value proposition to serve their customers and add value to their own products. And that okay. was an email from Mark Mitchell, which you may or may not remember. He was at our Atlanta show. He was the guy who won the Quest Software Oracle controls. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Mark, thanks, Mark for, uh, thanks for sending your email to us. You bet. And uh, I'm with you. You know, the, the interesting thing that happened was that Microsoft changed from a Microsoft licensing scheme for the F-Shop source over to the Apache 2 licensing scheme. But they haven't mm. cut people that are working on it. I do think we're starting to understand how F-Sharp fits in the equation a little bit better. And it's not really a general purpose language. So uh, how that's ultimately going to pan out is still up in the air. I'm watching closely. I have not abandoned hope, but I am a little frustrated. Well, there you go. And there you go. Mark, I will send you a mug. And if you've got questions, concerns, criticisms, ideas for new shows, just want to tell us how much fun you're having writing software, send us an email. .net rocks at franklins.net. And uh, Richard, our guest today is Andrew Russell. Andrew is an independent game developer from Brisbane, Australia. He has a game out on the PC and XBLIG, which is Xbox Live Indie Games, or XBLIG, called Dark, and another one called Light Blocks on Apple's App Store and the web. He's currently working on a game called Captain Stretchy Arms. Awesome. That sounds fun. Right now, he's promoting a crowdfunded project, which he'll tell us about, called Exen, E-X-E-N, and both E's are capitalized. Exen started out as his effort to port Captain Stretchy Arms, which is an XNA game, to Silverlight and the iPhone. The plan with XN is to polish it up so that anyone can use it, and also to produce an Android and a Mac port. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, guys. Sounds like an interesting idea. I mean, it's uh, uh, certainly interesting, but uh, ambitious, I think, is the word that I want, to be able to do that kind of a port. How, um, how much success are you having? Well, um well, put it this way, the uh, game runs on those platforms, so it's very successful. Um, I mean, obviously I'm not, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants with uh, yeah. this, um, this library because uh, it started out as some other open source work and then I've built on top of that. Um, but, you know, now it's a very capable port of XNA to Silverlight and the iPhone. See, I've always looked at XNA as such a low-level technology that Silverlight is more of the macro technology. Maybe you need to set me straight here. Is it, or how different are they? Uh, well, you're you're right. Um, Silverlight is, you know, very very high level, and it sort of takes quite a a lot of trickery to use that high level stuff as if it's low level. Right. So, um, you know, I, I basically treat Silverlight as if it's a rendering engine more than, yeah. you know, the XAML and whatnot. Yeah, I got to think the well, XAML is the big part, that the basic underpinning code is not that big a deal, but here you have some XAML and XNA just doesn't have that. How do you make UIs in XNA? Um, well, uh, 
so rather than, rather than using any XAML at all, I just manipulate the um, Silverlight um, object tree. Um, so because what XNA does is it basically draws sprites um, in, its, in its 2D form. Okay. So I just manipulate a bunch of image objects on a canvas object um, and, you know, at the right times and apply the right transforms and then I've got a, you know, a, a sprite drawing engine. And you use the term canvas, which is same as XAML. Yes. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I basically instance a canvas object and a, um, image object in code. Um, and there's like one, one XAML class, which is just, you know, setting up the window and that's it. So I'm curious as to how, when you say the plan is to polish it up so that anyone can use it, that's a, a loaded phrase right there. I guess that's what I'm asking when I'm wondering how much success you've had with it. It's one thing to port a specific piece of code because, you know, you can obviously throw things in there that are specific to your code. But how, um, how ambitious is it to make this a general XNA to, to iPhone in Silverlight converter? Well, um... So I've I've sort of well f first of all I've taken the standpoint that you know anything that's sort of um, iPhone uh, specific or Silverlight specific um, or specifically won't work in those platforms I just said you know right game developers if you're gonna you know if you want to go full screen on the iPhone um, that's ridiculous because it's already full screen so I've said you know I just won't implement that. And then there's a there's like other features that I haven't needed in my games, um, so I haven't implemented them yet. But I've just you know left holes in the API um, that I can fill in, I guess, uh, soon. So um, yeah, does, does that answer your question? Well, yeah, I guess. I guess um, so. So you're saying basically, if there's stuff in the XNA code that's specific to one thing or another, you're you're sort of dead in the water. But is there a way that I guess I'm saying is there a way that you can write your XNA apps with the conversion in mind, so that things that you have to avoid, so that they will port better in or any of those real showstoppers? Oh uh, yeah, exactly. So the idea is basically being. Um, to keep things as sort of cross-platform compatible as possible. So if you take, you know, an XNA game running on Microsoft's XNA that works on PC and Xbox, and then you try and take it to XN, you know, your compiler is going to come up and say, you know, that's, that class is not, you know, that's not a class and that's not a class and whatnot. So your compiler will sort of tell you, um, you know, these classes don't exist and then the XN documentation will hopefully say, you know, here's why they don't exist because they don't make any sense. Like mm. it's a bit hard to have a um, like a graphics device, like a DirectX style graphics device on top of Silverlight. Like the, right. the idea is sort yeah. of funny. So once, but the idea that then is once you've got your game into XN, and you know you've you've I guess if NDEFed all out, out all of your you know code that's specific to Xbox, for instance. Once you get your code over to XN, then it'll port between all of the XN platforms without needing any changes. Okay. 
But it makes sense at that point. You, you, you're not trying to convert everything. You're just saying, here are the pieces that will convert, and here are the pieces you need to write. Yes, exactly. Okay. You know, X, XN builds on um, two existing libraries called Silver Sprite and um, XNA Touch. And sort of they, they kind of took the approach, you know, let's implement everything. And I've sort of gone the other way and said, you know, let's implement what makes sense and leave it up to the game developer to, um, you know, make sure their game is compatible between platforms. Like, because um, obviously if, if you're porting between PC and iPhone, you know, you're going to have to change like your whole user interface so it fits in that little rectangle. Sure. But also, yeah. I mean, the UI stuff for the iPhone is Coco, if I remember correctly. I mean, is there re really any compatibility there at all? Did you have to write the UI over again? Uh, so, well, the thing with the thing with XNA is it's all um, it's all uh, graphics. So um, there is there's no Coco code on. Um, well, there's there's no user interface Coco code on uh, the iPhone. So it's all uh, OpenGL. Oh, okay. And you're using mono on the on the phones too, right? Yes. Mono touch and mono droid. Yes. So yeah, mono mono touch is great. Um, you know, it's so nice to be able to write, uh, you know, familiar C sharp code and have it run on the iPhone. Right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. So you know all about the power of ASP.NET MVC, but you might be in need of some good tools to enhance your productivity. Well, our friends at Telerik just shipped the latest release of the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC, 18 jQuery-based native MVC extensions. Now you can enhance productivity by remaining in control of your views without having to write all HTML, CSS, and JavaScript by hand. Did I mention that the Telerik MVC extensions are also free and open source? Plus, now you can check all MVC online demos in both ASPX and Razor views since the extensions offer full support for ASP.NET MVC 3 and the Razor view engine. Download your free copy today at Telerik.com slash free MVC. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So then that brings us to Android. So now aren't we on the JVM? Yes, so... Um... Obviously, I, I don't actually have an Android phone at the moment, so this is all in the planning. But um, my understanding, uh, having looked at um, Monodroid and all that, is that they um, run, um, they compile down to the JVM, don't they? Mm -hmm. I must admit, I'm not actually sure. I just, I've just checked that it will work. Um, I haven't looked at the technical details that much. But it is possible. Yeah. Yes. So um, you know they have they have all the APIs that are necessary to port XNA. So it's just a matter of um, doing it. I was looking at you mentioned XNA Touch. Yes. Is that a part of the Game Studio framework or is it something else? Okay, so um, a gentleman named I think his name was Bill Reese made a um, he made something called Silver Sprite. Um, which was an XNA port to Silverlight. It's kind of like XN. Um, and XN uses some code from that. And then another gentleman, um, I've forgotten his name just at the moment, but he's made, uh, he took that and then made a iPhone port of XNA. So that's, that's open source and available now. Um, but, you know, that's, that's what I started, 
trying to use when I went to port my game at first, but um, I found that it wasn't very good. So I rewrote a lot of it. Just went in a different direction? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, it's 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 a library. It does it's got sort of this. It does sort of the same thing, but um, it's got different goals, I guess. So similar to Silver Sprite, but just taking a different angle on it. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, XNA, XNA Touch runs on the iPhone, and mm-hmm. then, um, but it's it's different to XN, I guess. Okay, but yeah, and I, that's what I didn't understand because I knew there was an there's an an XNA Touch uh, namespace in. Um, in the XNA Game Studio, but this is actually XNA Touch for the iPhone. Uh, yes, yes, I, I understand that. Yes, so uh, the the touch the touch namespace in XNA is um, for for touch input as opposed to being, um, I guess, a product name. So, okay. So, so yeah, that's a bit confusing. <laughs> no, it's just create. I mean, I thought these platforms had nothing to do with each other, and I'm and you're basically showing me. There's a whole group of people who are trying to build across all these different platforms and are trying to build tools to make that happen, including yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm quite thrilled to, to have a game running on the iPhone. And, um, you know, I, I think XNA is a brilliant framework, so it's nice to be able to use such a, you know, good quality framework on the iPhone because, um, I don't know, I find working with plain old OpenGL and Objective-C is sort of, that's not my cup of tea, I guess. What was the most challenging thing about doing this port? Oh, challenging. Um, Anything with sound or actually getting the touch to work, things like that? um, I I think the most challenging thing um, doing the port has got to be the... uh, Graphics on Silverlight, um, that was really hard. Um, at first, when I started out at first, I um, uh, so now 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 I'm going to explain the uh, difference between um, in immediate mode and retain mode. Absolutely, I'd love to know. Um, yeah. So okay, so you know, X XNA is, XNA is like an immediate mode API. So um, you know, you say draw this, draw this, draw this, draw this, draw this, and it draws it and forgets about it. Whereas uh, Silverlight is retain mode. You're like, here's an image and here's an image, and, you know, hang on to those for me, and uh, you render them when you're ready. And sort of trying to go from immediate mode to retain mode is really hard because you've got to figure out, you know, what objects in the, um, you know, in the Silverlight object tree. Well, aren't there graphics? Aren't there existing graphics libraries for Silverlight for high performance graphics that you could tap into or could have? No, um, there's no, there's not really any immediate mode drawing options on Silverlight. There's a writable bitmap, but that's uh, that's that's not really very fast. It's quite slow uh, relative to the um, hardware accelerated renderer on Silverlight, and you've got to write your own. You know, you bring your own blitter. Um, Are you talking about memory bitmaps? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that was that was one of the early things I looked at, and um, it just wasn't fast enough, and and it was really that was even harder to program. So I didn't, I guess. 
And is this more of like the paradigm of how you build software around games in general? This is not necessarily specific to Silverlight per se. So, well, when 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 you make a game, um, you you know you you have your own um you know your own data structures like this is this is a player and this is a block and this is a car, um, and then you want to you know have you know want have full control over rendering those things um, when you want to, whereas Silverlight, you know, you have, you know, an image or a checkbox or a, a text control or whatever, and, um, you know, you let Silverlight manage that for you. Mm -hmm. But then they don't really map onto what you want to do for a game. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, it's not the same kind of behavior, right? I'm almost thinking like this is declarative versus imperative style of programming. It's it's sort of like that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I always look at Silverlight XAML in general as that approach to things. But uh, I, I mean, I get your point that just you're just used to manipulating stuff directly, and you just redraw the screen when you need to, right? Exactly, exactly. And so you that's, actually, um, do you actually have to make stuff go away? Yeah. yeah so. Basically, the way the XN renderer works on Silverlight mm -hmm. is it says, you know, this is this is a list of things that get drawn this frame. You know, pick out objects out of a pool that are already sitting on the canvas mm -hmm. and show them and put them in the right place. And anything that didn't get drawn, you know, hide that and just leave it on the canvas waiting for you know the the renders to come around on the next frame. It, it might bring it back. Okay. So, for example, on on uh, Silverlight, it might be tricky to um, say. Say you've got three different sprites in like a walking animation. It mm -hmm. might be tricky on using regular sort of Silverlight to flick between those three sprites. Whereas in uh, XNA, you just like draw frame one, draw frame two, draw frame three, draw mm -hmm. frame one, and so on. Right. Now, as I know, Silverlight Four has GPU acceleration. Were you targeting Silverlight 4? Um, uh, actually, yes. Um, Silverlight 3, in fact, has GPU acceleration. Um, right, right, right. So, so I went for that one. Um, there's, I think, in Silverlight 4, you get um, perspective transform uh, hardware accelerated, which uh, sort of would be nice, but um, yep, Silverlight 3 is slightly, slightly wider install base, so I went for that. But, um, and even still, even still, it's not. It doesn't compare. Yeah. So, with, with um, hardware acceleration turned on, you get a lot more performance out of Silverlight than um, using Silverlight software renderer. But still, Silverlight software renderer is um, very fast. The renderer for the the UI. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, you, you can either you can either run Silverlight in software rendering mode, and then it just renders off. Um, you know everything in, I guess all all of the um, objects in its tree um, using its software renderer, or you can stick in a hardware mode and set all the caching options, and um, and and that's a lot faster. But um, still, the the software renderer is very fast. And yet it. It draws this different way where it's maintaining those objects and you have to remember to clean them up and so forth. It's just a different way of thinking about the problem. Yeah, exa exactly. So it's 
it's certainly preferable in a game to um you know draw it draw things frame by frame right makes sense and do we do we talk about um any of the specific things that are going to be off the table in terms of things that XNA can do that won't port to XN? Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, let me think. Well, first first of all, um, the, you know, XN, XNA does 3D graphics, and sure. I haven't done any um, of that in XN because that's, that's a huge section of the API, and that's a lot of work to implement. Right. Um, and then there, there are things that I've sort of taken out of XN sort of to get performance back. Um, for example, like viewports and render targets. Um, there's no sort of mechanism for doing that in Silverlight uh, and keeping hardware acceleration. So I've taken those out, for example. So do you do you think, do you, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a game developer, but do you think the XNA game programmer listening would list would hear that list and say, ah, I guess that rules that out. Or are those deal breakers? I'd li- I'd like to think not, but um if 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 you if you're doing, you know, really fancy graphical effects in XNA, you're probably gonna have a lot of trouble porting that to Silverlight um with XN or even without. So um I've sort of I've 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 tried to make Silverlight available to the game developer as, as best I can, but there's sort of a limit to what you can actually achieve in Silverlight. Um, on the iPhone, uh, it's a bit different. There is um, more capacity for doing uh, some of those things. But uh, for example, I don't think no. There's there's no support for pixel shaders, for example, on the iPhone. Right. Um, on XN. And you know, there's there's two versions of OpenGL. Um, one of them one of them has pixel shaders and one doesn't. And I've targeted the one that doesn't have pixel shaders because it works on more devices. Okay. So it's all it's all trade offs. Right. I guess the alternative is to hire an Android developer and hire an iPhone developer and hire a Silverlight developer and <laughs> have at it, guys. Yeah. Exactly. And. Um, you know, even even if um, say say you were making a game, um, and you wanted to get it on all of these devices, and you really wanted you know this fancy pixel shader effect or something, you'd still you know probably probably do quite well with XN because um, like there's all the sound libraries and stuff, um, and right. then most of the graphics stuff will also work. Um, across there, but you might have to rewrite, you know, bits of the renderer on different platforms. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety-five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. Have we talked about the Windows phone yet? Uh, no, but yeah. I don't, I don't see a Windows phone in your list of to-do things. Well, Windows, Windows phone XNA 
Microsoft XNA natively runs on Windows Phone. Right. And there's, so is, there, is there anything in XNA um, proper that is not uh, working or available on XNA on the phone? Okay. Um, so on Windows Phone, the first, actually the first thing, now that, we've, now that we've been talking about it, the first thing that comes to mind that's not available on Windows Phone as yet is uh, pixel shaders. So they've, they've built in um, five core effects into um, XNA in the latest version that will run on Windows Phone, but you can't use custom ones. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's you know, a, a thing with a graphics device. Um, okay. So you've been building games for on the in the indie game store for the Xbox 360. Yes. As well as in the iPhone app store and presumably in the Windows Phone 7 app store? Uh, I haven't used the Windows Phone 7 app store yet. Um, I, I don't have a Windows Phone either yet. Um, I'd like to get one and, and give it a go. But my understanding is that Windows Phone uh, 7 uh, store is similar to the way that uh, Xbox Live Indie Games is set up. Yeah, it makes sense. So could you give us a sort of comparison of the experience? We really haven't talked about the whole Indie Games thing uh, in this show, I know we've done previous ones where we sort of mentioned it. Maybe we talk a little bit about the experience of what it takes to put a game on the indie game store. Um, okay. Well, when 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 you post a game to um, Xbox Live Indie Games, um, you basically put it into a peer review, and um, then that sort of sits there until it. Uh, I don't know how many it is, and I don't think Microsoft actually tells you how many, but a certain number of um, other indie game developers have looked at your game and ticked it off and said, you know, this is fine. And then it just goes up on uh, Xbox Live Indie Games, and um, it sells on the Xbox. Uh, whereas on the App Store, you uh, submit it, and then you sort of twiddle your thumbs and wait for Apple to, you know, give you their blessing. Um the nice thing about the App Store is that uh, it's available uh, in more places. Um, for example, um, believe it or not, I've got a game on Xbox Live Indie Games, but I can't actually buy it in Australia because we Whoa. don't get Xbox Live Indie Games. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I get people asking me, yeah, hey, you've made an Xbox game. You know, how do I get it? I'm like, you can't. It's, you know. <laughs> so that's a bit of a shame. Um, but you know the the terms and sort of um, I, I guess the way the stores work are fairly similar. One of one of the nice things about um, Microsoft's approach is that they've um, they encourage and in fact on Xbox they require you to provide a demo um, version of your game. Oh yeah. yeah. Whereas on the App Store, Apple's sort of I know I get the impression that Apple doesn't really like demo versions at all. Um, hmm. And so and you, everyone else does. And so you get a whole lot of like free and light versions of, you know, full apps on the App Store, which I get the impression Apple is not keen on. Interesting. So, yeah. So as, as far as planning, I guess, a release on the two stores go, they're fairly similar. Okay. But the, you said the pro. I, I just think it's interesting to have the peer review, 
where you probably know some of the people that are looking at your app, as opposed to uh, Apple's black box goes into the Apple machine and will be rejected or not. Yeah, well, the way my, I, I really like the way Microsoft set that up because mm -hmm. um, you know you it's it's basically it's it's like a web forum and you post it on and you get a I don't know if it automatically creates one but you can you know say you know post a thread and this is this is my um, you know, game mm -hmm. and you know please comment and also you get um, you can post it for peer review or you can post it for uh, I forget what they call it now. It's like testing or something. Um, so it's like peer review, except you know it's you know it doesn't have the same stringent requirements, and um, you get still get feedback from people. Right. So it's mm -hmm. sort of like because when you complete peer the peer review, it goes into the store, right? Yes. Interesting. Okay, and so it's nice to just post for testing, and then you get the effective peer review without the necessarily outcome. You'll later on post for peer review. Yeah. One of the um, things about peer review is that you can only post once a week. Oh, um, I see. So you can't spam it. Yeah. Whereas if you post it to testing, if, if you've really, really screwed up, um, you know, say your game crashes on, you know, the second controller or something. Right. You get that kind of feedback without having to wait a whole week to repost it. Okay. So you, yeah, you, you post for peer review once a week, but post for testing, you do whatever you want. I believe that's the case. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm just—I did not know that. that is, I think that's incredibly constructive, because then it's really developers helping developers in the way you build up your product. Yeah, I—I I think that I think that um, Apple's Apple Store is good, but I think Microsoft is sort of better set up to serve developers. Interesting. And you are selling the games on the indie game store. Yes. So. Um, I don't think there's a, there's a free option on um, the phone, mm -hmm. but on Xbox you're required to sell your game. Okay, you can't give away a game. I have a I have a problem. I have a problem. I, maybe you can shed some light on it. I am officially addicted to light blocks now. I've been playing it for the last <laughs> five minutes while you guys were talking, <laughs> and uh, this is an addicting game. It's kind of like Tetris Sharp. Well, I'm 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 thrilled. Um, I'm 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 glad it's addictive. Um, hopefully, <laughs> not too addictive. It's it's very it's a lot of fun. Wow. So I mean, Light Lightblocks is not sort of it's it's not it's not really a big game. It's you know just some clone of some game I played a long time ago, um, and I made that sort of as a. Um, I don't know what you call it, like an integration test or something of the whole XN framework. So that sort of exercises most of the stuff that I've written. Like it, it has sounds and it has graphics. Sure. So, so. Um, yeah, it's it's very cool, and as I say, very addicting. I'm nice. just going to mouse away from that page. Make it stop. <laughs> well, Make thank it you. Stop. I couldn't find a pause uh, button on the demo, so I just have to walk away. Yeah, I'm, I must admit my user interface is slightly confusing there. There's like a menu, but you've got to like drag it up. And I've been meaning to change that, but I've just been busy. Oh, I found it. But you're not at the point now where you're making a living from these games either, right? This is still a hobby? Um, I'd, I'd like to be making a living from these games, mm -hmm. but uh, they're not quite done yet. 
Tell us about the crowdfunding idea. Okay, so, um, well, I mean, I mean, I'd I'd made XN sort of as an internal library just for my own games, and you know, I've been working on it for weeks and many weeks, um, and I'm like, hey, this is something that's actually really quite useful, and it's you know, a solid implementation of XNA. Um, and so I thought, you know, people people would like to use this, and so I sort of started looking at the best way to get that out there. So I, I, the first the first thing I thought of was, you know, could I sell this? And I was like, um, probably not. Um, and I wanted to do an open source release of it because, uh, you know, that sort of library I've found sort of seeing other people releasing libraries. Um, Online, uh, I found that open source is generally done better because um, you know people can submit patches and right. self-support and stuff. Uh, but the other thing I found is there's a whole lot of um, people have released libraries, like their internal libraries, out into the world as open source, and because they're their internal libraries, they're sort of specifically geared to. Um, that person's software and that doesn't really work for anyone else so no one uses it so it sort of you know it dies basically so i thought you know if i can if i can get some funding to allow me to spend time making it into like a proper product that people would be you know happy to use um that would be the best way to release it and so i said well you know I may as well try this crowdfunding thing. It seems like a good idea. And so far, it's going really well. So, so how much money have you raised and how much do you have to so go? At the moment, yeah, I'll just bring up the page and it says that I've got $6,912 so far and the target is $10,000. Wow. And I've got 47 days left. So it's doing uh, above... I guess the necessary rate to reach the target, so it's on track. So I'm pretty happy about that. Well, that's great. So you're going to end up open sourcing this in any way? Uh, yes. Yeah, so when once 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 the project's funded, I'm going to work on it for three months. And um, so the people the people who've contributed um, get you know early access, which is sort of one way I can you know say give people value for having contributed right. um, money to the project. Um, but after that, then it's going to just be uh, like any other open source project. So um, right. I haven't picked a, picked a place to put it, but I was looking at uh, Codeplex as a suitable option. Mm -hmm. for. After um, all, I mean, that's where Silver Sprite is and uh, yes. a bunch of other projects. So. But and, I mean, it's an interesting idea to be able to work full time on it for three months to get it to a state where it does what you need it to do, and then it's available for anyone else to work on from then on. Yes, exactly. Is that a set the three months? Is that like you're quitting your day job, or are you just uh, taking three months worth of vacation time? What do you? How's that going to work? Um, I don't. I don't plan on working on um, it full time um, for that three months. So I'll still be doing. Okay. Um, game development work and some other stuff in the uh, background, but um, I will be allocating sort of a large slice of that three months just to getting it 
done, I guess. I see. So how do people participate in uh, XN? Well, at the moment, um, <laughs> they, they, they can participate by giving me money. Yeah. Which is nice. <laughs> Just, uh, but, I, I, what I'm asking here, actually, is uh, how do people give you money? Okay. So um, it's up on Rocket Hub, which is the sort of crowdfunding website that I uh, settled on using. Um, and you basically you just go to their site and um, you know go go to the XN page and click on fuel this project mm-hmm. and um, then you go through their sort of system and you buy what they call rocket fuel and apply it to the project. I guess um, it's pretty simple, um, really. Cool and hey, heck, your project's on the front page of Rocket Hub right now. Yeah, yeah um, I was I'm quite happy <laughs> about that. Um, Rocket Hub has sort of been in contact with me and um, helped with some promotion and stuff. Um, now, what is Rocket Hub, and is that something that our listeners might be interested in utilizing themselves? Well, the the well known um, sort of crowdfunding website is, of course, uh, Kickstarter, um, and I think probably a lot more people have heard of Kickstarter than Rocket Hub. But the thing about Kickstarter is that you can't start a project unless you live in America. So. Um, if if you wanted to do crowdfunding, you know I'm I'm really happy with Rocket Hub, and you know there's many other websites that do the same sort of thing. And you basically they all work on the same principle. You set a target and um, set some rewards for your um, contributors. Um, and if if your project reaches its funding target, then it goes ahead and you get the money and you work on the project. And if it doesn't you know, earn enough money, then there's no commitment from anyone, um, which is really good. Uh, so does Rocket Hub take money up front, or is it a pledge-based thing? Rocket Hub um, does take uh, money up front, I believe. Uh, Kickstarter, I know, uh, takes a credit card number up front and only charges you at the end of the project. Um, but Okay. Yeah, so. Well, that's good. Sounds like it's uh, sounds like it's working out real well for you. And and I brought that up just because you know some of our listeners might not know about it. And if they're thinking about venturing out on their own and they've got a killer idea, that might be a good uh, a, a good thing for any developer to investigate. Oh, absolutely. Well, Andrew, it's been uh, the the hour has flown by. It's it's really great technology. Um, I love your games and um. Uh, I want to hear some more success stories about how XN is being used in the future. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, it's been great chatting. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, 
at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.